I want to encourage you to grab your copy of God's Word wherever you are, here in the sanctuary, out on live stream, uh, and join me in turning to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is, is that famous chapter in Scripture. It's called the Hall of Faith. We read the words by faith 18 times in this chapter. And today we're going to transition from learning about the faith, uh, the faith of Noah and those who came before Noah, really from the beginning of creation up through Noah, and we're going to skip over to Abraham, and we will consider the faith of Abraham and his family, part 1, in verses 8 through 16 of chapter 11. We saw last week that faith puts it, its confidence in God's promises that are not yet seen. We have faith in that which we do not physically see. And this is not something that's new to the New Testament. It's something that was true in the Old Testament as well. Even Old Testament people, we saw last week, gained approval from God, not by their good deeds, not by their own righteousness, but by receiving righteousness from God through faith or by faith. In this chapter, Hebrews reviews people from the Old Testament who live by faith to prove to us that salvation has always come by faith in God who brings His promises to the people of God through His Son. So we've been encouraged throughout Hebrews to draw near to God, to, to have bold confidence in our accessing the throne room of God because Jesus is our advocate. He's our great high priest. He never ceases to intercede for us. But the challenge in Hebrews is that it's becoming increasingly difficult to walk by faith in Jesus because it's becoming costly. And what, he, what we can learn here in 2020 is that even when it's difficult, even when the world doesn't make sense, even when the world is criticizing us or even penalizing us for following Jesus, we, like the Old Testament saints, must live by faith. So today... We're going to see not only that is faith trusting when we can't physically see, it is also trusting what we do see in the future by the eyes of faith. There's a seeing that comes to the believer that is by faith. And so this morning we're going to learn from the forward-looking faith of Abraham and his descendants. Although they never saw the promises of God obtained in their lifetime, Although their lives were anything but comfortable, they nevertheless lived by faith. Would you hear with me the word of God, beginning in verse 8 of chapter 11? By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed, going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she confessed him faithful, excuse me, considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died 
in faith, without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For He has prepared a city for them. Would you pray with me? God, help us as Your people to have a clear vision today of eternity. God, help us to be compelled and motivated not by just the present, but what You have prepared for us in the future. God, help us to live our lives in this country looking for life in the city yet to come. God, remind us that all of Your promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ and that those who trust in Jesus have a sure hope of life everlasting with You. God, motivate us to live like we believe that. Help us to live by faith. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning's message is all about saving faith. And I want to show you three aspects of saving faith this morning. To have saving faith. Those who have saving faith. Not, not faith in faith, but faith in the Son of God. Not just some emotionalism or some uh, you know, weird feeling that made me feel good on a Tuesday and then I lost by Thursday. But biblical faith. Genuine faith that saves. There's three aspects we see about that in these verses. First, we see that those who have saving faith must not seek familiarity and comfort in this world, but rather seek an inheritance in the city of God. We, we don't seek familiarity and comfort, but an inheritance in the city of God. What we're really living for, what we're really looking for, is not the stuff that this world can provide. It's that which is brought to us in the Son of God. In verses 8-10, through 10, we skip from Noah to Abraham for just a brief moment in Scripture. It looked like Noah might be that promised son of God, the one who would bring us the promises of God. God washes the world clean. Sin is wiped out. And then Noah gets off the boat, and what does he do? He sins. So we got to keep looking for this promised son. And then it looks like, well, maybe it's going to be Abraham. In Genesis 12.1, we read this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land I will show you. And then a few verses later, we see something amazing in verse 4 of chapter 12 of Genesis. So Abraham went. God said go, and Abraham went. This is the story that's in the background of the verses that we've just read in Hebrews. What the author wants us to see is not just that Abraham obeyed, but that he obeyed because he believed God. There was no reason for him to leave. Familiarity and comfort and everything else that he had in his homeland, why would you do that? Other than that, God told you to. And if God's going to go with me where I'm going, better to be with God than to not be with God. So if I've got God with me, praise God. As one scholar says, faith is the root and obedience is the fruit. He left his homeland in Haran for a place that God didn't show him because he trusted God. Can you imagine that for a moment? 
No travel guides. You know, you can't go get your restaurant recommendations beforehand and line up your trip. I think about my wife planning our trip to Disney World. Man, she's got it mapped out. The time we're going to be there, the rope drop, which restaurants we're going to hit at what time. God just said go. No Google. No Facebook friend recommendations. No AAA trip ticks. Do you all remember those before the internet? My dad would order those from AAA, those long books with the maps. You'd see the road, and you just drive down the road, and he would say, all right, son, you're navigating. Where are we? Well, we're almost to Rockingham. We're almost to Ellerby where we can get homemade peach ice cream. Praise Jesus. Abraham doesn't have any of that. I remember so well when God called me to pastoral ministry. We, I resigned my job, sold my house in four days, and moved to... Raleigh, North Carolina, left behind a great church family, friendships, great jobs, nice house, and the comfort that comes from knowing where you live. You know, it's, it's comfortable to be familiar. Like, you know where the store is, you know where the bank is, you don't have to change accounts, everything's familiar, it's nice. You don't have to worry with the DMV, praise the Lord, I mean... But at least I knew where I was going. Abraham doesn't even know where he's going. God just says leave. Doesn't even give him the destination. And Abraham goes believing that if he has God with him, then that's good enough. You see, church, Abraham proves to us that saving faith relinquishes our need for control of our lives. And instead, it allows God to lead us in the ways that he has ordained. God has ordained ways to lead you in your marriage. God has ordained ways to lead you in your workplace. God has ordained ways for you to be led in church life. God has ordained ways for you to be led in your parenting. In all sorts of ways, God has given us a true and sure word about His leadership in our lives. Saving faith relinquishes our need for control and it lets God lead us in the ways that He has ordained. It forsakes what is familiar, what is comfortable, in order to be led by the Father. Saving faith goes with God even when it can't see the end from the beginning. Those who live by faith are faithful in the present because they trust that God is going to do what He promises to do in the future. You see, church, when your future is secure, it brings freedom in the present. We're free to forgive those who've offended us. We're free to stop trying to keep up with the Joneses because it's not going to matter one day. The Joneses are going to die and we're going to die and we've got an inheritance in the heavenly city. It frees us up from living for the trappings of this world because we have a home in the world to come. When your future in eternity is secure, it makes you free to live in the present. In verse 8, Abraham leaves his homeland, believing God will give him this inheritance. Look at verse 9. He spends his whole life not inheriting the inheritance. And yet he still believes, he dies believing God will give it to him. He lives not in a house with a nice foundation and a three-car garage. He lives in a tent along with Isaac and Jacob. Did you know tents are temporary? Most people don't aspire to live in a tent their whole life. Man, when I grow up, I want to live in tents with my family. That's what I want to do. Now, there's probably a few out there, maybe some of the, the outdoor crazy types. Man, that's great! We're going to live in tents forever. But that's generally not what people aspire to. 
But that's what Abraham experienced. A temporary, transitional life. Which he was happy to live because he wasn't looking for what he could make out of this life, but he was looking forward to life in the land to come. He was looking forward to his inheritance in the heavenly city. This is why in verse 9 we read that Abraham lived as an alien in this world. What does that mean? An immigrant. He, he saw himself as a foreigner, a stranger, an exile in the land to which God took him, in the land of Canaan, because he was looking forward to another land, another day, enjoying his citizenship in the future, in the city of God. Do you see that in verse 9 and 10? In verse 9, he kept on living in tents. He kept on not having familiarity and comfort in this world. How? By faith. He was able to keep on living in this way because he wasn't looking for the comforts that come in this world. A man cave in early retirement. Rather, do you see what he was looking for in verse 10? He was looking for the city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God. He lived in a tent that had no foundation and he was able to do that because he knew he was going to live one day in a city that was designed and built by God Himself and it would never fail and it would never fall. As William Carey once said, the future is as bright as the promises of God. Abraham was pleased to live his life in a tent because he saw this immovable city of everlasting significance on the way. Did you know the great cities of this world have crumbled and will crumble, but there's a city designed and built by God that will never, ever fail? It's the heavenly Jerusalem, the place where God dwells. It is the city that will come down out of heaven when Christ returns. Those who have saving faith don't seek their ultimate satisfaction in this world. Indeed, they can endure through adversity and misunderstanding and hardship and even more because they believe God will surely bring them to His forever and unshakable city at the return of Christ. They leave mother and father and cleave to their spouse. They take up their cross and they die daily. Which raises a question for us, church. How firmly are we holding to familiarity in this world? What comforts and conveniences are preventing you from launching out in faith? What is God calling you to that you're hesitant to do because of the comforts and luxuries of this world? What luxury in this life is keeping you from launching out in faith for the glory of Jesus? The second thing we see in this text is those who have saving faith must believe that God works in impossible situations to keep His promises through His Son. Genesis 21.5 reminds us that Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. And oh, by the way, when the angel came to Sarah, she was ninety so we could forgive her for the fact that she laughed at first when God told her she was going to have a son. She knew about the promises to Abraham, but she's 90 years old, and so she laughs. And so they end up naming Isaac Isaac because Isaac means laughter. But eventually she did believe God. God reiterated His word to Sarah. And we read in verse 11, By faith she received the ability to conceive. Saving faith accesses God's saving power, which He brings through the, 
the gift of a son. God never promised Abraham and Sarah a life of luxury on the way to the heavenly city, but He did promise them a son. And He promised that through this son, that there would be many sons who were blessed by God. And Sarah believed. She believed God. And God enabled the impossible in her so that His promise could be fulfilled through Abraham to bring many sons to glory, ultimately through the birth of Christ. We find this promise in Genesis 15, 5. At a time when Abraham had no sons, the Lord told him this, Look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you can count them. Then he said this, So shall your descendants be. Isaac is a miracle son. Is he not? Age 100, age 90? It's a pretty unlikely birth. The way that Sarah conceives Isaac is God enables his conception in Sarah's womb. This, by the way, is pointing us to an even more miraculous conception. We're told that Abraham, in verse 12, was as good as dead. But guess what? Jesus is conceived in Mary with no man at all. So that he could be the new Adam, the one who's without sin, who could bring, according to the promise that we read all the way back in Genesis 15, who could bring many sons and daughters to saving faith through faith in Jesus Christ. Know it now that Jesus has come as the ultimate fulfillment of the promise to Abraham in the line of Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Judah, and so on. We finally get to Jesus. We're not looking for a miracle conception of another son. We are looking for the miracle of the new birth. Where God would take sinners who are dead in their trespasses and sin, those who are as good as dead, and He would transform their heart by the Holy Spirit's power and apply the life and death and resurrection of Christ to them so that they would be changed on the inside and brought into being sons and daughters of God. We live in a world that is filled with people that are as good as dead. Dead in their trespasses and sins. They're stuck in their past. They're living defeated lives. They're pursuing temporary pleasure in this world with no hope in the life to come. These situations seem to us as impossible as the birth of Isaac. Which is why Hebrews uses this example. Do you want to know what real faith in God looks like? It looks like a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman sitting in their tent going, you know what? We're going to have a son. Why? God said we're going to have a son. So we're going to have a son. Let me ask you, what situation are you facing in your life that seems impossible? Who is it that's run far from God that you believe is so far gone that God can't save them? What child has chosen a a course of life that's contrary to God's Word, and you, you almost have stopped to pray for them because you've forgotten the power of God to do the impossible in their life? Is it the daily news cycle that's so distracting and so disappointing that it's perhaps caused you to believe that maybe God has abandoned this world? God hasn't abandoned this world. He sent His Son to take on the sin and suffering of this world to make it new, and He's coming again, and we have an inheritance in that city. The nightly news cycle does not cancel the power of God. The impossible situation in your marriage and in your children's life does not cancel the power of God. Those who have saving 
faith. They believe and they act and they pray and they forgive and they do these things believing that God still does the impossible because He sent His Son to die for the sins of the world, to transform the world and to fit it to inherit the heavenly city of God. Through faith in the Son of God, we can see a world full of sinners transformed into a world filled with worshipers. And the question is, will you be there? God, help us to have saving faith in Your Son. Finally, we see in this text that as those who have saving faith, we must see and welcome God's distant promises and refuse to turn back. We've got to see God's promises. We've got to welcome them and refuse to turn back. The first readers of the book of Hebrews were living in what was arguably the greatest empire up to that time in recorded human history. Citizens of Rome were incredibly proud of their Roman citizenship. But the empires of this world will all eventually turn against Jesus and those who pledge their allegiance to Jesus. This is what's going on in Hebrews, right? This is what's on in the back, going on in the background. The people of Hebrews are getting persecuted for their faith in Jesus. And so they've got a, a bit of a choice to make, it feels like. And so he's drawing this analogy between Abraham and his family, who never had a home. They never had a place to dwell. They never had a place to call their own. And he says, look, if your father Abraham could live his whole life in a tent without putting roots down because he was looking for the heavenly city, you can do the same even though you live in Rome. Are you going to throw away Jesus in order to be accepted as a good Roman citizen, in order to look good at the office, to be with the in crowd around the water cooler at the office? Or are you going to live like Abraham? Are you going to live like his sons who looked beyond their present world to a better country? Do you see that in verse 16? And to a country of their own, verse 14. They died. These Abraham and his descendants and his family died with forward-looking faith. And we know this because verse 15 tells us they could have gone back to Haran. They could have gone back to where they came from, but they never went back to familiarity. They never went back to the land of comfort and convenience. They never went back to the temporary fix that this world offers. And we know that's true because Abraham refused to go back and he wouldn't let Isaac go back there to find a wife, but instead sent a servant to find a wife for him and to bring her back because he didn't want Isaac to be tempted to go back but to stay in the land where he was as he looked forward to the day that God would bring the inheritance in his heavenly city, this better country, a country of their own. Those who have saving faith don't turn back to the world for comfort or for purpose. Though the promises of God were distant, do you see that in verse 13? They did not give in to the temptation to trade temporary comfort in this world for the promises of God that they had seen and welcomed by faith. I love these two words, see and welcome, in verse 13. The word see, do you remember last week? Faith belongs to those who can't see. And now, we see in verse 13 that they see. Well, how do they see? They see by faith. To see means to discern clearly. They never physically saw God's promises, but by faith, they had a clear vision of life everlasting in the presence of God. In a country that would truly be their own country. I find that interesting. 
I think about this as my country. But the Bible is telling me, to the extent that this is your country, that's nothing compared to the way that the country yet to come will be your country. Everyone will be there for the same reason. We, did you know there's not going to be any political disagreements in heaven? Did you know there's not going to be any policy agenda setting? Nobody's going to have a dispute about anything? It's going to all be about Jesus and His glory. Yes and amen. Everybody who's there will be on the same page on every issue for eternity. Hallelujah. That's my country. That's my homeland. That's what I'm looking for. Man, I can't wait for that day when all are there to glorify the Son of God who conquered death by going to the cross for us. They never physically saw God's promises, but by faith they had a clear vision of life everlasting in the presence of God. They would be there with all of God's people. You can almost hear the author shouting at the Hebrews between the lines. He's saying this, Rome is not your home. The empire you live in is nothing compared to what God has revealed to those who have the eyes of faith to see it. So why are you trying to hang on to your status and your standing in an empire that's going to fail and it's going to fall? Do you not know, church, that it is impossible to be a friend of the world and a friend of God? James 4, 4. Don't you desire the better country that comes to to those who trust in Jesus, who is better than the angels, Hebrews 1.4, who brings in a better hope, Hebrews 7.19, by offering Himself as a better sacrifice, Hebrews 9.23, so that we might have a share with Jesus and a better possession, Hebrews 10.34, because He's taking us to a better country, Hebrews 11. If you have seen and welcomed the promises of God that come in a better and everlasting country of your own, then why would you cave to the pressure of an inferior country that will fail and will not last? So compelling, so beautiful, so wondrous, so marvelous were the promises of God to Abraham and his family that they welcomed them. Do you see that word welcome in verse 13? It means to embrace with open arms. I don't know about you, but in this age of coronavirus, I want to embrace some people with open arms, and it's driving me nuts. Last night out in the field, I've been giving air hugs. I'm tired of air hugs. I'm ready to give some real hugs. They embraced the promises of God with open arms, which means that they held on to them. They wrapped their arms around them. I think about my wife, Stacy, when she comes home from Kroger, she doesn't even give me a chance to help her out. Like, she opens the, the tailgate on the van, and then I come to the door, and, and her arms are so wrapped up with Kroger bags because she's not going to make two trips. Did any of y'all do that? I mean, I don't know how she does it. She turns into Hercules when she comes home from Kroger. I mean, she'll have two carts, two buggies of groceries in her arms to get it all into the kitchen and then, you know, her fingers don't have blood flow for a while, but she gets all those bags in there. I mean, she's so loaded up, there's no way you could put anything else in her arms. That's what Abraham and his descendants did. They were so loaded up with a vision of God's glory and a better country and a better land than the land in which they lived. They were so looking forward to their eternal inheritance with God that they couldn't let this present world distract them 
The temporary false hope of this world couldn't get into their life because they were so embracing life in the world to come. Saving faith holds on to the promises of God so completely that the false hope of this world cannot take hold of us. Church, our true citizenship is in heaven. We are strangers and aliens of this world. Do you see that? They confessed that they were exiles and aliens and strangers. That they they were happy to live as foreigners in this world because their heavenly citizenship was superior to any earthly citizenship they might have. The countries of this world, including our own, will rise and fall. But the Word of the Lord endures forever. Look at verse 16. Those who give their supreme allegiance to Jesus, those who are looking for the inheritance in the heavenly city, God will not be ashamed to be called our God. Isn't that amazing? When Jesus returns, though we've sinned, though we've fallen short of His glory, if we will confess our sin and believe in Him, when He returns, God won't be ashamed of us. There will be many who have reason to be ashamed. Because they have heard the gospel proclaimed. They have heard the word of God preached. They know that they are sinners. And they know that they need to trust in the Savior. And they keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And one day Jesus is going to come. And those who have not trusted in Him and lived for Him will find that God is ashamed for them. And they will perish forever and ever and ever. But those who trust in the Son of God and live by faith in the present, looking forward to His return, God will not be ashamed of them. And we will find that the heavenly city that He has promised is one, do you see them, verse 16, that He has prepared. Look at it in verse 16. He has prepared this inheritance. We read about this inheritance in Revelation 21, verses 2 and 4. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. Church, in this broken world, we can keep living by faith in the One who was broken for us so that we might have an inheritance with Him forever. This world will surely fail. But Jesus never fails. Do you trust Him? Would you pray with me? King Jesus, we thank You that You are King. We give You praise that as Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. God, that it's otherworldly. God, we give You praise that You fulfilled Your promises through Jesus. And that if we'll turn from our sin and trust in You, that there's still room in the kingdom of heaven for more people to know You. God, for more to be transitioned from those who are dead in their sins to those who become sons and daughters through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Lord, as we stand in just a moment and sing one more song, about our need for faith. God, I I pray that if there's anyone in this room, if there's anyone tuning in by live stream, God, if they do not yet have saving faith, if they've not yet given their lives over to You, if they're still divided in their minds, living for this world and only sometimes living for Jesus, God, that You would change their hearts, that You would give them faith and confidence to live not for the 
fleeting pleasures of this world, but to live by faith in the Son of God who will reign forever and ever. God, I ask it in Your name and for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.